0: You
1: got Welcome to the Shining Light Podcast. This is Pastor Sam and Patrick oh. No oh. Compromise of Eva
0: Wyatt. How are you doing today, Patrick? Oh, lots, uh, lots up. I guess pretty good. I don't know state of the world's events. Uh, you know, of course, of course, as Christians, it doesn't matter the circumstances we're in right now. We know what what comes next. So. Uh, make the best out of things and, and keep a smile on our face. We can have joy in, in, uh, in even difficult circumstances because Jesus is Lord.
1: That's true. You know, when, uh, when it comes to being a Christian here, it doesn't matter what our circumstances are. We, we can't have joy because we look to Christ. Uh, he is our song in the night, so to say.
0: Our, our, he's our hope, but, but more than a hope because his promises are always true. That's right. So, we, you know, we, we refer to him as the blessed hope, which he is. I mean, we need hope too. Mm-hmm. But realizing that it's it's not just we're hoping for hope that we we know that the the promises are true and that the risen Savior is is coming again and that uh, when our time on earth is finished we will go to be with him. So um, there's a certain joy in that and it takes a lot of weight off of you. So I got and you got your retirement, your eternal retirement plan already taken care of. So what it's out of is, this
1: world, let me tell you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> So whatever happens in this life happens, as long as we can be of service and
1: uh, um, be useful. Well, one, well, you know, this isn't necessarily where we're going to be going with this podcast, but, uh, but I think it's a kind of came up here with what you're saying. Uh, you know, just a few days ago, we celebrated Easter. Um, this is the Tuesday after Easter. I've got no idea what the date is, otherwise I'd tell you what it is. Sixth. The sixth. There we go. Sixth April 6th. Uh, that we're recording this, and just uh, actually about a week or so ago, maybe two weeks ago, uh, you wrote an article, A Faith uh, to Live For, A Faith Worth Living For. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, we, you know, I just think about that. Uh, we really do have a faith that's worth living for, don't we?
0: We do, and that's the whole point. If, if we would, uh, you know, sometimes it's easy to get distracted by the world and life kind of gets in the way. That's why it's so important to keep reading your Bible and to be praying about what you've read because, uh, you know, if we believe what we say, if we believe the Bible... It's a wonderful faith. It's it is something to live for. It's it's really beyond words that that what Christ did for us and that He defeated death and rose again. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul talks about it. You know, we're most miserable men if Christ didn't rise from the dead because everything else doesn't matter at this point. He's just another guy, but he wasn't another guy. He was the Son of God. He is risen from the dead. He's alive and well, um, and he is coming back. And he keeps. Aware of everything going on, everything that happens, no matter how how bad it looks, it happens and it works according to God's ultimate purpose. So um, we have to be content in that, and I'm I'm content.
1: Yeah, and you, you know that is the ultimate hope as a Christian. Um, I I wrote a post, Facebook post, a few a uh, few weeks ago, maybe a week or so ago, um, about the hopefulness of premillennialism, um, because mm-hmm. I, I'm friends with a, a lot of postmillennialists on Facebook, and and I'm not. I'm not going to sit out here and bash you guys, uh, post because I appreciate a lot of the stuff that you guys do. I uh, really appreciate the work that you do out in front of uh, uh, murder mills, abortion mills, things like that. Um, gr- gr- great stuff. And you guys a lot of times stand for for great truth. And I, I think that one of the great critiques we can have on premillennialists is a lot of times um, we are we kind of run into heteropraxy for some reason. We, we kind of become... Uh, uh, sterile in our works uh, for for God and things like that, and I think that's where a lot of people become postmillennialists, is because they go and they say, "Well, um, I see the works of the premillennialists, and and, and that's not right." And a lot mm-hmm. of times, I would agree with them that I would say, "Yeah, we're 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 failing there." But just because we have heteropraxy doesn't mean that we always have uh, uh, heterodoxy there. A lot of times, it's orthodox teaching and just wrong application. Mm-hmm. I would say with uh, the the premillennialists, but. Um, But I came out, and and I got really tired of hearing the postmillennialists say that they're the optimistic. They're the optimistic ones. They're the optimistic ones. We got got optimism because we're going to go and and, and dominate the world and bring in Christ's kingdom for Him. And I'm going, well, really, the most optimistic eschatology is premillennialism because, you know, I'm so optimistic. I believe that when Jesus comes with a sword, he actually kills people, and that, uh, you know, he causes them to submit, and that Jesus doesn't need me to bring in that hope.
0: You know, this whole idea of post-millennialism uh, back in the social gospel days, Walter Rauschenbusch was preaching how we could make the world a better place and collectively earn our salvation by doing so and prepare the world for the return of Christ. And that died out at that time because then all these promises of this utopian future, you had uh, was world, world War, War I One came in and you had the, the Spanish flu pandemic and then you had the, the Great Depression and you had it on the heels of that World War Two, and that kind of crushed the life out <laughs> of that silly thinking that things aren't getting yeah. better. Um, technology is getting better, maybe movie special effects are getting better, but morally and globally things are getting a lot worse. And when you read the Bible, that's exactly what was predicted. It wasn't predicted. Nothing was said about our duty to make the world and transform into a better place and Christ will come back to reign as king in this wonderful creation we've made for him. It talks about such a wicked... Destructive world that if Christ doesn't come back, his own words are: if those days weren't shortened, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, or the people that are saved, those days will be shortened. If you read Revelation, you read these things literally. All of that discourses, and even the, the different uh, end times sort of prophecies throughout the yeah, Old Testament, the Book of even Daniel. <laughs> it, it, it always talks. It's not talking about a great time of revival because Christians seize control. It talks about a horrible time when wickedness is pretty much ruling unabated. And then Christ comes back to finish the work of good and finish human history. It has nothing to do with us. When he establishes his kingdom, he will establish it by his might when he comes. Right now, we're to be holding ground and, and reaching out to souls of the Great Commission. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah, and um, it, I, I don't get the... Like you said, we got some post-millennial brothers. But the, any the, reading of the Bible, if you take it literally, and that's the way it was written... Oh, I, I just don't get that it, position at all.
1: And, and there'll be some post-millennialists in heaven, and they're going to be really surprised when they're, uh, you know, actually come back into the millennium with Christ. You know, it's it, they'll be kind yeah, of surprised I mean, with that. This is probably uh, not. You, they'll, you know, know they'll, they'll try to run up in front of Christ, and Christ will say, "Oh, I'm going to do this. Get back. You're following me. I'm coming in with a whor- on a horse and with a sword. You're following me at the armies of. Yeah. You know, they're, they're going to you're be basically going to be a that.
0: spectator. You're not. Um, you're not going to need to actually <laughs> do anything. I'll take care
1: of it myself. But, but the, the, the other thing is, too, is that, you know, and this is where I don't understand that where they're saying they're optimistic. And, and this is nowhere where we're going with our, our, uh, our podcast. But, but that's, that's the a great point. thing about us. We never yeah. know where we're going. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Until we hit that record button, you know, we had a totally different plan here. Yeah. But um, <laughs> uh, how can you say you're optimistic if you're a post-millennialist? Because uh, if you're a post-millennialist, you're saying we're in the millennium right now. And uh, I hate to tell you this, but, like, Jesus is getting his butt kicked right now, okay? If that were the case, if, yeah. If, if this is the case, I know people are going to get real mad that I said that. Uh, because, you, you know, they, they, they really go and they, they give to this weird... Um, uh, well, Okay, wait, wait a minute here. Uh, if you're a conservative post-millennialist, you're going to get real mad that I said that. And if you're a liberal postmillennialist, because the reality of it is is that there are a lot of liberal post and millennialists um, because they're going and saying that this uh, progressive um, uh, wrong ethics and antinomianism is actually Christ's kingdom, you know. And I, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can't wait to, to sit there with popcorn and see what they're gonna have to say on Judgment Day when it's not just Christ saying, you know, I never knew you, but when He goes, He says, "Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness," because they really are enemies of the cross right now. Um, but there are, of course, some conservative postmillennialists that I would agree with a lot of stuff great brothers i would go and stand with them and in in many different uh areas and facets and things like that but i have to tell you man you guys aren't very optimistic because if this is if this is the millennium right now if this is Christ's kingdom uh i want my refund here because he's not doing a very good job um and i'm not trying to blaspheme i'm just trying to say here right now we're not winning we're Uh, not winning right now okay are things getting better uh... no yeah, it,
0: things are markedly worse day by day, week by week. Um, you think there'd be some sort of turnaround? Bring us a
1: backlash for this one. Yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> you know that, that's in a time of uh, what, what Orwell's saying: a time of universal deception. Truth is revolutionary. So that's yeah, true. We're t- we're telling you the truth, and take a look at things. Um, if you see some sort of a positive outlook, or you see a marshaling of good forces suddenly going to swoop in and take care of things, it's not Donald Trump. He's done. He's not coming back. Um, what we're seeing right now is evil having its way, and there is no human, uh, anything close to human effort right now that's, that's even trying to put much of a, an obstacle in front of it. So, um, again, read your Bible, look at Revelation, look at all of that discourses. Read in Daniel. There's several spots to understand really end times eschatology. You have to understand both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Don't just read, you know, a few sections and think, well, I've got it all figured out. But the universal thing there is, it's talking about a time when great evil is in effect and it's not going to be stopped by man. It right. needs God, it needs Jesus Christ.
1: worth that time of the great falling away, is, it would seem. Yeah, the apostasy, yes, um, the great falling away. And you, I don't even know if I should open up this can of worms or not. What, what do you think? What has ever stopped you in the past? That's true. What's ever stopped me in the past? <laughs> uh, we've actually discussed this before several times. Um, but I think this is part of—because, uh, you know, what started the Shining Light podcast was us speaking out against social justice coming into the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that we identified pretty quick was uh, the, the Calvinism or Reformed-type theology that ushered it in. Now, that doesn't mean everybody who's a Calvinist is social justice. Far far from it, that. It's more the neo-Calvinist. Right.
0: We have Calvinists that are also anti-social justice. Right. But your neo calvinist which is the real movement, is, in, is kind of where this and they're natural ch- fits for for the social justice movement too. I,
1: absolutely, be, because it's a less literal and um, in, in a, a much more uh, interpretive uh, type uh, in, tar, type herp- hermeneutic, uh, and you can kind of bend things and say, "Well, this is allegorical. This that isn't doctrine."
0: Doesn't really matter um, to the neo-Calvinist. It's m- more works and what can I do? And it, right. it is towards the. Making society a better place, uh, going back right. to the old social gospel. And, and, and that's
1: and that's why the uh, the amillennialism and postmillennialism, and of course, Reformed theology, is where social justice is exploding. Um, I know that I've had several uh, Calvinists and, and Reformed theologians uh, ask me, you know, why, why is it in, in, in these circles? Like, it doesn't make sense. Uh, but the reality of it is, it's because your hermeneutic lens uh, lends itself to do that. Uh, it it really does. You're not going to see a lot of dispensational uh, social justice warriors, um, or, or true dispensational ju- uh, social justice warriors. Uh, you might have some leaky dispensational social justice warriors. I do think you'll see that, but in reality, leaky dispensationalists are the exact same as Reformed theologians. They're just uh, mm-hmm. they're trying to be cool with the Gospel Coalition. Um, but the I mean the the reality when you go and you look at it is that they're seeking to make things uh, better, like you said, uh, and so there there is this big social action that's coming, which is social justice. And then plus, uh, you know, when you can start taking things as allegorical uh, and things like end times and Jesus coming back and things like that, and and you can take those uh, as an allegory, then why can't you take things like... um, Sodom and Gomorrah, instead of being homosexual sodomites, um, you know, they're actually just not hospitable. Yep. And so, what it
0: does, it takes. Which, God's, I mean,
1: don't get me wrong here. I do believe that a gang raping people, that's uh, and sodomizing them, is pretty inhospitable, but that wasn't really why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah.
0: No, Jude 7 tells us why God yeah. destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. But so, yeah, when you're talking about things like that and. It just a little reading of the Bible, like once again, instead of allegory. So if you have allegory, then where does that stop? So you make the Bible just right. a document that's open to whatever interpretation you want to throw at it. And God didn't write it for that. He didn't make it for a, a choose whatever you want out of it, make it whatever you want. There, it would be pointless to write a Bible like that, to reveal himself, where the Bible basically doesn't mean anything concrete. It's just whatever each individual wants it to say. That well, makes, that's
1: neo-Gnosticism, really.
0: Yeah, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You, there really is an unknowable God if that's what a God would do, but uh, that's not what God did.
1: And, and, and this is the thing, too, that I think we, we need to remember, um, because one one of the big uh, appeals of um, Reformed theology is that, and it drives me up a wall, okay? <laughs> this just that This just grinds my gears. You get them into a position... Where you're in a theological discussion, theological debate, and you get them into a position where where, where it's like you, you got them, okay? Logically, you have them, they have no answer, and then they go and they say this. Oh, it's all part of God's redemptive mystery. Redemptive mystery. They, they so, appeal to mystery. You know what an appeal to mystery is, what we call that in the real world? What do we call that in the real world? That's called ignorance and it is a fallacy okay that's what it is okay and and they sit out there and they go appeal to mystery appeal to mystery oh romans 9 that's my whole theology staked upon this and what is it appeal to mystery well you've got a pretty terrible theology then i'm sorry i know all my calvinist friends are going to come with torches and everything else with me but but i'm sitting here going look appeal to mystery that that is a cop-out God wrote a Bible not so that he could appeal to mystery but so that we can know who he is he's revealing himself to us he's not trying to hide to himself in the Bible
0: yeah then we can appeal to God Yeah, that, yeah.
1: That's, and it is it is a, 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 a mild form of neo-gnosticism to appeal to mystery because now you're trying to say I've got the hidden juju okay that's what you're saying and I'm the elect you're not that's why you don't understand I, I've got the hidden knowledge right <laughs> I'm glad you got that off your chest Whew. man but now we've lost like four fifths of our audience. Well, you know. Um, the other fifth is just sleeping. They're still there, but they fell asleep. No,
0: they missed this section. It's my
1: mom. She's still listening. So she's just sleeping. She's, she's a
0: faithful sleeper. Yeah. But <laughs> you, you your, know, your mom
1: actually pays attention when she, she listens. She does. Yeah, she does. She um, likes it. She likes it. My mom said she's going to start listening again, so I knew I had to throw this in at some point.
0: Okay. Well, that maybe will put her back to sleep. <laughs> so. <laughs> I don't know where I was
1: going. Now I I'm sorry. <laughs> well, this whole podcast hasn't been where we were supposed to go. No,
0: this wasn't what we talked about right before we went on. But that's <laughs> like the, literally
1: three seconds before we got
0: on. That, that's the wonderful thing about though—we kind of let it go where the conversation goes. So, and I think it's spontaneity, if nothing else.
1: Yeah. Sh- should we should we recover back, or do you want me to keep complaining about Calvinists? Um, what was I going to say? About...
0: <laughs> I don't really remember. But oh, I know what he's going to say. I think a lot of sometimes we get taught a lot of things, or after the fact people come in, teachers come and they teach us these things. And you go, oh, that that person sounds pretty smarter. They're able to communicate well. I guess that's what it means. Sometimes mm-hmm. things like that you would not get that reading the Bible yourself, or maybe you go well. It's because you're just ignorant, and you you know you need somebody uh, higher learned to to bring that across to you. But uh, when I, some of these concepts like that, I never would have picked that up reading the Bible. I still to this day don't know where that comes from as I read through the Scriptures. Now they mm-hmm. can tell you where it comes from. But it, that's something that's taught to you, not in the Bible, but by men. Right. So, um,
1: and, and, you know, one great resource on this, because I've had people ask me several times on Calvinism versus, uh, they, they always say Arminianism, but in, in, in reality, we would call ourselves traditionalists. Um, yeah,
0: there's that fallacy that if you're either uh, an Arminian or you're a Calvinist. So if you're not one, you're automatically the other. That's what right. one side thinks about the other.
1: Yeah, and uh, and and so I mean, I'm, I'm gonna have people call us Arminian uh, because because we, we just you know said that we we're do not, not follow
0: the instructions of Jacobus Arminius. Yeah, let, let me put that out there. I don't um, identify by a man's teachings.
1: But uh, but but if you want some good resources, somebody who I I like, and of course, I mean. Ultimately, the ultimate authority is Scripture. So always take it back to Scripture. I take it back to Scripture. I'm not saying I agree with this person 100%, but he's really helped me out uh, in in a lot of these things and understanding and I know he has you too, and that's uh, Leighton Flowers, mm-hmm. uh, Soterology 101. Uh, Andy Woods is another person who's got some really good stuff on on this. Yeah,
0: he's he's pretty solid too. Um, he
1: uh, you know sometimes he speaks over my head, but I'm only five seven and he's six six, so that's why. <laughs> um <laughs> no he, he i mean he is very 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 brilliant and so but very i was just more making me uh,
0: very very much yeah. breaks down stuff i mean if, if you like good bible studies i mean he will go verse by verse He's done books on Daniel, books on Revelation.
1: Oh, and his his Daniel series is, was just absolutely. And, and he's excellent. available
0: online, so we would heartily recommend. Any time you can listen to Andy Woods, he's got something valuable to tell you.
1: Yeah. Um, so so those are a couple uh, a couple of really good people to uh, to listen to to read. Um, you've read uh, Andy Woods' Coming Kingdom. Um, I've got it. I haven't got oh, to haven't, read it yet. Yeah, you, what you been writing a book or something? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's coming.
0: That's come to a close. So yeah, there's a lot of books I want to get to, and that's definitely one of them. And it's it's a pretty good sized book, but. Uh, that just means there's more information in there right so
1: so uh, so, so check out some of those resources but uh, if you like what you've been hearing so far and I don't know if you would or not because it was kind of a weird start right there to that that uh, to this episode but you can find more at the com. once again that's the shining light We've got all kinds of uh, articles on there and all kinds of podcasts. Uh, we've even got some stuff in our store, um, all kinds of things there at the Shining Light podcast, or excuse me, Shining Light, the ShiningLightMinistries.com. I, I should get that right. Uh, I'll say it again here, the ShiningLightMinistries.com. Um, but we'll go ahead and we'll start. And if we don't, uh, accomplish everything we were initially going to accomplish, we'll, we'll, move we'll that over to the next one. Yeah, yeah. We've always got another podcast. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, so in this one, um, we were talking about kind of a global state. Uh, you you got state of the nation, state of the globe, state of the world right now. Um, And Mm. that really starts off in Ukraine right now. There's some stuff happening in Ukraine. uh, Mm. And just an observation, because I'll I'll be the first to admit here, I am not a a big geopolitical guy. Like, we all have different spheres that we study in and things like that. Um, I really like local politics a lot more than geopolitical stuff. Mm. Um, I've definitely had to learn more about geopolitical things and it's been fascinating and good but but it's not my expertise but patrick i would say that uh this is your expertise that's what i like
0: to look at the local stuff i don't really pay much attention to unless something breaking happens but my yeah my attention is focused a little bit farther out
1: yeah and um not quite to the space force though i've heard you're not you're not you're not quite following star trek yet but uh i can't really talk to that yeah oh uh the um, the The big thing uh, that, that I've noticed though is that while we had President Trump uh, obviously President Trump had some uh, s- some warts he had some flaws uh, he had some failures but he did su- do some very good things too. Uh, and one of those things was was that, you know, I noticed that we weren't in very many wars, which was very surprising to me. We didn't start any
0: new wars. That was one of the things. Oh, President Trump's going to get us involved in a war. Yeah, well, he, he got actually, rid of ISIS pretty much.
1: Yeah, he, he actually he stomped them down. Really helped out things.
0: Yeah. Um, um,
1: I've been talking to our friend Judd Saul, who's actually uh, heading to Nigeria here soon, and he says the persecution uh, from Boko Haram, which is ISIS essentially, mm-hmm. uh, has really picked up here. And I asked him, I said, "Do you think that's because of the new presidency?" And he said, "Absolutely." Yeah. Um. But there's a lot more global conflict that seems to be happening here. Just kind of picking up with this new um, fiat president. Let me be honest here. I I don't really believe Joe Biden won the election. He's he's not my president. Uh, He's not your president, I know.
0: He's not anybody's president. This guy doesn't even... Whoever's (laughs) in charge is not Joe Biden. Let's put it that way.
1: You know, I wouldn't say he's nobody's president because, I mean... You know, when you're that senile, you do probably make up a few people in your mind. And, you, you know, it's yeah,
0: it's, uh, it's pretty sad. And the world sees the weakness there. Of course, again, yeah. he's not somebody behind the scenes is, is the one that's pushing the buttons. They just trot him out in front of a camera, have him mumble whatever he can get through, sign off what he doesn't even know what he's signing on to. And I say it's the, the Biden presidency, but Joe Biden doesn't have the at this point the mental capacity to be Leading anything, and I, I don't right. think that's a, a secret to anybody or most people out there. It's it's some people may not like it, but it is the truth, and, and probably most of you know it, even if you don't yeah. like it.
1: He, he's not qualified to scrub toilets at a gas station right now, let alone lead a nation. Yeah. And uh, so so that's that's an important thing um, to understand. But what's happening in Ukraine? Because something's going on in Ukraine, and it's something we should probably be aware about.
0: Yeah, there's not a whole lot on the news media about what's going on in Ukraine right now. Uh, they keep us distracted with COVID and vaccines and and all, various things. Major League Baseball not playing their their All-Star game in Atlanta. I mean, just trivial stuff by comparison to what's going on globally. So right after the Biden regime took over, got into office, um, Russia was in Syria, they're supporting Bashar Assad. Um, we had pulled out of Syria under Donald Trump, and now. I think it was three days after his inauguration, the Biden inauguration, troops and equipment, American troops and equipment, started pouring back into Syria. So there's a conflict brewing with the, with the Russians right there. Stealing uh, oil, taking oil out of the northern part of the country, the Russians have actually attacked that oil making facility a couple times with missiles and that's kind of an escalation right there. But the bigger thing is Ukraine. Now let's let's go back before we talk about Ukraine right now and just kind of the more recent history of Ukraine. First thing we want to talk about is all governments that have any sort of uh, authority or power typically are working against their enemies to try to change that government influence of people or the policies of that country. That happens in this country, whether yeah. it be Republican or Democrats, it's been going on for years and years.
1: Well, I mean, simply put, you know, you if you didn't think you were right, you wouldn't believe what you believed. And so uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to People say that you know we shouldn't have an America first mindset but the reality of it is is that we're always our ideology first The issue is is that the Democrats are no longer Americans right that's really people, the issue there
0: yeah the emergence of the globalist mindset mm-hmm. so whereas it used to be nations would try to influence other nations for their whatever their national aspirations or whatever was good for their nation
1: but, but I mean to be clear they wouldn't they wouldn't if there was a conservative nation out there, they wouldn't be globalists in the sense that they'd want to promote that conservative nation that's outside of America. Right. They wouldn't do that. They, they, they are still promoting just their ideology, which right. happens, like you said, to be globalism, but it's a, it's a liberal globalism.
0: Well, the America helped overthrow the uh, former ruling uh, class in Iran and put in the Shah. Mm-hmm. And the Shah was overthrown by Islamic Revolution in 1979. So there was us meddling there. 1962, the CIA trained some dissidents and exiles in Cuba to go in and invade in Cuba in the Bay of Pigs to take out Fidel Castro. That, that was a disaster, it didn't work. But there's the United States again meddling in somebody else's mm-hmm. business. That's what the CIA is for, the Central Intelligence Agency, that's what they've been doing. That's kind of their, their sphere uh, and really their specialty. Except for it used to be, I, at some point they were working for the United States, now they're working for globalist interests. Mm-hmm. So, so this has been ongoing for quite a while. So let's, let's go move forward to Ukraine. And, and you know, and again, Republican Democrat administrations—it's that's it's business as usual. So, so to say against Donald Trump there was Russian collusion, the Russians probably were trying to influence, it like the Chinese and everybody else were, uh, but it had nothing to do with Donald Trump. That was just a, a a false red herring type of thing to throw at him. It's it's business as usual. The uh, Obama administration tried to get the election results changed in Israel. They sent advisors and money over there trying to overturn what was going to be that election too. So. You know, if you think it's such a terrible thing, then uh, take a look at some of your your own politicians. But anyway, so in Ukraine, 2004-2005, there was a move by the, it's even documented, the U.S. State Department. George Soros was another character that was meddling in Ukrainian politics. Okay, Ukraine had been formerly part of the Soviet Union, and then when the, that empire collapsed, they became an independent nation. Um, over the years, they've, you know, stayed fairly close to Russia. Um, Russia being a, a sharing a border with them, you know, you want to stay in, in uh, good relations with the guys that have the nukes and all the tanks and stuff, at least that's what common sense would tell you. 2014, the Obama administration, after they had also fomented the Arab Spring, which you've got all these different jihadi type of revolutions going, including the one that's still going in Syria today. That was part of the Arab Spring that the United States was behind. I mean, that's what Obama was trying to do get rid of secular Islamic dictatorships and put in hardline jihadi dictatorships. Um, so so using that as kind of backdrop, 2014 the Obama administration recruiting some neo-Nazis and other groups putting money in their advisors they actively changed that election result in the Ukraine the pro-Russian president was was kicked out and more of a puppet NATO Western America friendly guy was put in but more um, interest than in that, wasn't, he wasn't just American-friendly, he was anti-Russian. Okay. So that was immediately a slap across the face of the Russians. You know, now you've got a threat coming in right on our border. Right. There was talk of maybe moving Ukraine into NATO, which would then, you could put nuclear missiles right on the border of Russia.
1: Which would have probably really helped... Uh... Keep Russia in, in bay. At uh, yeah, bay, they'd yeah.
0: really be scared of, of that. Yeah. So what you're doing is you're forcing the Russians into a confrontation because you're 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 confronting the Russians. Okay. Right after this 2014 change of power, that's when Joe Biden's going over there with with his uh, crackhead son Hunter, and then Hunter gets put on the board of directors of Burisma Natural Gas Company Ukraine. So what Ukraine has become now since it is basically a vassal state of these interests and in the Obama administration, making it into a, a you know it's corrupt over there. Um, so they're able now to send politicians over and we're kind of getting payback. So we've set up this state and now these guys can kind of suck money out of this, this new country or this new direction this country's in. And uh, so the Bidens get their money and, and no telling who else is involved with that. but it's been a corrupt mess ever since. So that's our backdrop. Well now with during Donald Trump, that kind of got shut down, that sort of thing. You, you weren't having those sorts of issues. Uh, Trump, had the respect of the Russians. I mean, he's a rational guy no matter what else you think about him. Mm-hmm. And he dealt from a position of, of strength. And he gave them the, their just due as far as respect as well. So we weren't having too much of a problem with them. That's not saying he's colluding with the Russians. That's saying that the Russians are a world power and you you understand that and you try to kind of stay out of each other's way. So there's kind of a mutual respect there. So the whoever's in charge of the Biden regime, they get in there, now there wasn't
1: some there's not so much of a mutual respect right now between Biden and uh, Putin. Uh, in fact, Putin kind of challenged no. him to a debate, didn't he?
0: Yeah, the whole world's laughing at this guy. Yeah, yeah he's gone out of his way. To, and it makes you wonder because um, Biden has ties also to the Chinese Communist Party. A lot of money has come from the Chinese Communist Party, his way into his family. Is he an asset? Some people claim he is. Uh, you don't hear much about China now. They were causing problems now everybody's focusing on other things, but you're not hearing I'm not hearing much about China. Right. Now, just looking at the bigger picture, if I were China and I looked at the United States as a, as a foe, which they do, absolutely, and looked at Russia as a problem because they could be, um, I'd like to see those two fight each other, take each other down, then I would be the one standing while those two were in ashes, you know. Mm-hmm. So you look at it that perspective, the Chinese are kind of sitting back watching. So now there were two um, breakaway republics, or they call them oblasts over there, um, two, rep- or two little states, if you will, of, of Ukraine that said, hey, we want to be with Russia. We're predominantly Russian ethnicity. We like the Russians. We don't really want to be a part of Ukraine. Same with Crimea. Crimea voted by 97% to um, become a part of Russia again. So Russia said, okay, yeah, we'll take you back. Well, now they're claiming that that was a fraudulent election. Imagine the gall of claiming that was a fraudulent election after what we've had happen in this country. But anyway, so the Ukrainian government now, for some reason has decided, we're going to take military force, we're going to take back the Crimea, and we're going to go back over to this Donbass area, these two oblasts that are are kind of Russian-leaning, wanting to be a part of Russia, and we're going to use military force, and we're going to take them back by force. Well, Hmm. that's a direct challenge to the Russians. Yeah. So what the Russians have done, and I don't know how much of this you're hearing on TV, because I don't watch TV, but I know there's not much being talked about in the media, so um, this is largely maybe just to some of you, you haven't heard anything about it. The Russians have been transporting massive amounts of troops, armor, naval ships in the Black Sea, repositioning strategic aircraft, all these sorts of things. Move troops into Belarus, which is a, a Russian friendly nation, to the north of Ukraine, in such a fashion they could potentially cut off any sort of a NATO mission to to come and rescue Ukraine in case of military conflict. But the Russians aren't just putting a few troops, they're, they're massively building up, because if, and, you, and there's been some action along the border right now. There, there's actually been shots fired, some artillery, uh, some mortars, different things. Drone strikes have been taking place. So there is a, what you call, by comparison, what it could be low-level conflict right now. But the Russians are, are massively prepared to respond militarily and absolutely crush Ukraine. Now, if you're Ukraine, the real question is you understand that you don't really stand a chance against the Russians. But you have NATO and the United States kind of talking about, we can't leave Ukraine, you know, we can't leave them defenseless. When in fact, it's the the actions of Ukraine, that's been it sounds like we've been the ones behind it, getting them to push and push and push to the point where the Russians have to respond. So what it appears to be is somebody somewhere, and Eisenhower called him way back when he was president, leaving office, the military-industrial complex. Somebody appears to be wanting a war pretty badly. And, of course, this isn't like running into Iraq and taking out Saddam Hussein. They, they had a decent sized army, not well trained, they didn't have near the weapon systems we've got. Russia is a top tier military power, and they mm-hmm. have nuclear weapons. Well,
1: and, uh, t- tell me what you think about this, because this is uh, something that I heard um, last year kind of in the midst of the riots that was going on, and, and, and I was talking to a, um, I'm trying to th- a PSYOPs guy. Uh, about uh, that we're coming it looks like we're coming into a civil war and he said he, he said though the divide is definitely there mm-hmm. um, he goes and he says says you know and, and and completely agreed and everything that was going on and that it was bad and everything like that and he goes, goes here's the thing though they're never going to let us go into a civil war and I said what do you mean he goes he says they don't want a civil war and they'll put us into World War III before they put us into a civil war um, because
0: who, that's, that's uniting when you have a common foe you drop your your partisan differences at the local level and we all unite as a nation to go against whoever the aggressor is that has the potential to destroy all of us. Right. That's the mindset. It,
1: it, well, and, th- and then I had another thought too, which wasn't as optimistic as that one. Um, <laughs> and, and that is, uh, so if we get involved in enough foreign conflicts and then we start still having some civil conflicts here, because I, I, I foresee, especially with... Uh, you know, the um, vaccine passports and different things like that. And we'll, we'll probably go over that more in a in another podcast mm-hmm. looking at the time. Um, there's going to be civil conflict here in the United States. Well, the big issue uh, when talking to conservatives, I've always heard this for, for the past several years, talking about civil war. Well, we're going to be okay because the military is on our side. We're going to be okay because the military is on our side. And I will would, would always bring up the incidents that, you know... Um, the, the PSYOPs guys will, will work pretty well to turn the military onto the other side by going in. Uh, they'll, they'll send out their, their red coat troops to go out, kill uh, their buddies, the, the military buddies, you know, a, a platoon or whatever, a squadron, whatever it is, of, of military guys, and then they'll go back and they'll say, oh, look, uh, you know, blah, 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 the, these conservatives, uh, they hit your guys. And then they go and get all frenzied up and go, go take them out. And I thought that's probably how it's going to work. But, but what I'm seeing now is we're going to get involved in, and tell me if, if this is somewhere in the ballpark here. Maybe it's, it's out in left field, but um, we're going to go and get involved in military conflict overseas, get our military shipped out. Internal conflict happens. We can bring in foreign troops, U.N. troops, Chinese troops, whoever it might be. Yeah, uh, to go and to take care of the conservatives at home, um, because the thing is, is that uh, foreign troops, of course, they're not going to be on our side. No, and does that sound? Am I in the ballpark here? As I to... definitely
0: heard that theory, um, because they've actually put out surveys in the military at different times. Would you fire an American citizen? And most of those surveys come back, and, and depending on the branch, the Marine Corps definitely doesn't want to fire an American citizen. So. If, if these guys won't do what you want them to do, because they are Americans down deep there, and you have to find somebody else that will do it. So what you want them to do is either stand down or get them out of the way, get them, get them on foreign soil where they can't come back and be a part of stopping those foreign aggressors. Now, the thing with the getting back to the Russians for a second, um, recently the Russians, under the Arctic ice, brought up three nuclear submarines simultaneously, and they knew they were doing it because they filmed it so we could watch it, and that was a message sent. Mm-hmm. One of the subs had its actual silo door open, and a red tip nuclear missile was showing, just like, this is what we can do. The interesting thing about where they came up under the ice, it's not an area you would normally monitor for ICBM launches, because these are SLBM submarine-launched ballistic missiles. And the Russians usually, um, they have MIRB missile technology like we do. You can mount six to ten warheads on one, one vehicle. So when you fire one missile, you're in effect going to hit ten targets, up to ten targets. So where the Russian subs came up, I mean, they busted through the ice. Flight time to New York City for those missiles would be about 15 minutes. So, wow, you really wouldn't even know what happened until the flash, the last thing you see is maybe the flash, if that were the scenario to take place. So that was a, a message sent to us. The Russians have, over the years, looked at a nuclear war as a possibility, whereas in the United States we looked at MAD, mutually assured destruction. Like, nobody would be crazy enough to do this, so... Um, as long as we keep a nuclear arsenal and they keep a nuclear arsenal um, there's that balance of power because nobody's crazy enough to shoot at the other guy. But what the Russians have said is, you know, that's the assumption that you're completely destroyed. Mm -hmm. The Russians have looked at it and said, a nuclear war is survivable. So what we'd have to do in that case is we'd like to protect some of our population. So what they went about doing was a civil defense program where they built these large underground shelters in several of their major cities. So a portion of the population, in case of a nuclear war, would be able to get underground. There's food, there's water, there's machines, there's, there's all this stuff set so, so these people can survive and then emerge afterwards and a sizable chunk of your population will be able to rebuild and repopulate. So their, their infrastructure, their communications and their electrical and that sort of thing has been hardened. Like against EMPs and these sorts of things, these disruptive things that would destroy communications. The Russians actively have forces. After nuclear war, we go out and start reestablishing communications. They, they practice these things, right? Mm-hmm. So they're looking at nuclear war as a survivable thing, and maybe even inevitable when it happens. So we're, we're planning on what happens after. We want to win, and by winning, mean we survive. Has the
1: United States done anything like this? Our military base you know, have we, hardened. Texas can't survive 30-degree uh, weather, you know, or, or whatever. <laughs> it was it was a little colder than 30 degrees, but they, they couldn't survive, you know, a winter, mm-hmm. uh, their, their power grid. And in uh, Texas is probably one of the more self-sufficient states. So um, if they're not prepared oh, for right. it, we're yeah. definitely not. I mean, Montana might be more self-sufficient, but that's because there's only three people who live there. Well, um, oh, I don't mean to be macabre, but can you tell me where the
0: the, the nearest nuclear shelter is to where you live? And the answer is, I don't even know if such a thing exists, right? Yeah. But the Russians have, have planned for this. They said, you know, we can win simply by surviving. And the United States has no such civil defense program our nothing. There's nothing there. So you're really rattling the sabers with the wrong guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, if you miscalculate, well, the Russians aren't going to do it because they're Yeah, they'd still get hit pretty good. But... Throughout history there's always been military miscalculations and those blunders lead to major wars. Well in the past it would just send men on the battlefield with swords and you know, you're hacking each other to death. The homeland was going to be safe until the invading armies got there in a year or two and then maybe they'd be under siege. Today we live in a world where in 15 minutes you, you can be pretty much blown away. Right. So uh-huh. that's what they're playing with. They're playing with fire in Ukraine right now. So the option is if the Russians do move across. Do we sit back and watch them because they would just annihilate Ukraine? Do they do they stop or they they head on into Europe? We don't know. How do we stop them? Well, the same way we would stop the South Koreans or the North Koreans from attacking South Korea. We have to use tactical nukes. Once you open that can, the Russians would probably respond in kind and with maybe greater uh, effort. Um, but that's where wickedness has got this nation in this position. When you have this sort of people running our government that we have right now. And they're looked at universally across the world as weak, incompetent, and bumbling. The things they're doing to our military right now as far as lowering combat standards so everybody can be involved, it's idiotic. It's not what you do in a military. Military is not a social engineering program. Militaries are to produce hard people capable of killing the enemy. But that's not what they're doing now. They want to make it where everybody that wants to be in the military can be in the military, will lower the standards. So if you can't physically do the job, then we're going to lower the standards so you can get in and do it anyway. It is uh, disheartening to unit morale, and there's good people left. And I'm telling you, the, the America that you once knew the military fighting prowess that we once had, it doesn't matter the technological advantage we also had. The Russians and Chinese aren't dummies either. they got some good stuff as well. So when it comes down to it, um, just just apprising you of what's going on in the world right now. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it can be gloomy if you go, oh my goodness, what do we do? Well, don't look for a Savior. Man, your Savior died on the cross a few 2,000 years ago. It doesn't matter how you live this life. It comes to an end for us all eventually. Um, it's just a matter of when and where. It doesn't really even matter how. It's a, it, that it will come to an end unless the Lord comes back for
1: us first. So, it's a point that all men would die, and after that, judgment. The judgment. So the question is, Is you know, uh, are you ready to die? Uh, now, you know, it's not just that Christianity gets you ready to die. It does also show you how to live. I was going
0: to say that. Yeah, that's an important wow. point to put across, because we can sit here and talk about what we're talking about, and I'll sleep just fine at night. I'm not scared of whatever happens, because I know that uh, one way or the other, I'm off to heaven when it's my
1: time. Right, but... Uh, you, you know, we, we do want to give you with, with hope, uh, and that's kind of what we started off with uh, in, the, in our little bit of a diatribe, diving into uh, uh, post-millennialism, pre-millennialism, and uh, Calvinism. And, We've and been all over like the place that. with this one. We, we really have, but I, I really do hope that this was an uh, informative um, podcast for you. Uh, it, it, I mean, it's one of those things that I think that we need to be up-to-date, understand what's going on so that we can be prepared, uh, but also so that we can understand the urgency of the time. Um, it's you know it's time to share the gospel with that coworker, it's it's time, uh, parent, to teach your child what's right and what's wrong. It's time to go and to pull parents, your children away from that television, and get them into the Word of God. Let, you know, let me tell you, uh, j- just quick in, in closing here, uh, we, we've got a we adopted a two year old son here. We, we adopted him when he was less than two, but he's two now, and uh, he he. Uh, he has come to, to love the Bible. And, uh, you know, he's come to love the Bible so much that we actually have to put our Bibles up on tall shelves because. Uh, <laughs> he's an active fellow. Well, he's an active fellow. And, and he, he loves. We, we don't have TV, so he doesn't get screen time. He doesn't do screen time. Once in a while, we'll a uh, pull, pull out our phone and watch the old uh, cartoon uh, Superman, okay? Like, mm-hmm. like we're talking, you know, uh, faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive able to leap buildings in a single bound you know that one the one i watched. yeah right yeah, yeah the, the, uh, you know it's old then yeah i mean it's it's, it's good stuff we'll, we'll we'll go on that and they're like six minute episodes it's great uh you know kind of a thing uh as, as parent just just a tip there you know you don't have to sit through you know 30 minutes of uh, caillou or something like that you know six minutes of superman but uh, but he loves books he re you know grabs books looks through them and he loves to look through the bible and we'll go through multiple times of the day flipping through the pages. Going Genesis, saying the books of the Bible, showing them where he is, going and looking at the maps. He loves that, and and I mean we we can't get to bed without him saying Bible, Bible. It's time to read the Bible. He has it ingrained in him, you, you know. And and he is he loves the Bible. He he grabs the Bible and he gives the Bible a hug and a kiss when he gets it. I mean it's that's what he does. And I'm not trying mm-hmm. to sit here and say that this is us because we're not doing anything special. We're we're doing probably just the bare minimum of what Scripture is telling us to do, but. But we little Thomas,
0: to... too understands the importance of the Bible,
1: right? And, and we need to get the Bible in front of our children, and we need to get the Bible in front of ourselves.
0: Instead of talking about living our, or instead about talking about our faith, we need to be actually living our faith now too. I mean, you still need to talk about it, but living our faith is what we really need in times like this, and it's for the benefit of ourselves and also those around us.
1: That's right. Well, uh, anything else you can think of here, Patrick?
0: I can think of a lot of things, but we better shut her down right now
1: for this all, podcast episode. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, you got a podcast and a half on this one. But uh, for the Shiny Light Podcast, this is Pastor Sam. And Patrick, no compromise David Wyatt. Have a great day.